Good morning. It is good to be here. I'm glad you are here. If you're new with us, uh, that includes you. I'm thankful that you're here. I'm thankful that we get to gather together to worship the Lord and fellowship together. I'm thankful for the Word of God that always proves true. I'm thankful for Psalm 18 and the opportunity to preach it this morning. And I'm also thankful for Amazon reviews. I, uh, I always check the stars. You know, is it four and a half or five stars and what percentage is there? And then you get to check all the reviews and see whether or not this thing is really worth it. I, I, have, I like Consumer Reports and Google Reviews. There's Ratings.com. There's hundreds and hundreds of these kinds of organizations and websites that give you, give you a personal testimony from people who have first-hand experience with the product or the service or the experience that somebody's trying to sell you to see whether or not it's safe or trustworthy, to see whether or not it's worth it. And yet, if you're like me, you always have in the back of your mind maybe a little question mark, like a suspicion. When they're, when they're giving this thing a glowing review, is it because they're getting some kickback that I don't know about? And if they're, if they're giving a negative review, are they just jaded? Do they have some personal vendetta against that person or that company or something? I'm not always totally sure I can trust them. But if it's somebody that I know, and it's somebody I know who knows their stuff, and they're trustworthy, then when I get a personal testimony of their firsthand experience that it's worth it, I'm all in. What we have with Psalm 18 is the trusted voice of King David from his personal testimony of his first-hand experience with God saying that he's worth it, that he's worth calling out to because he will respond. If you look with me at the superscription, that's the kind of the title, the heading comments above verse 1 in Psalm 18. We read, To the choir master, a psalm of David, the servant of the Lord who addressed the words of this song to the Lord on the day, when the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul, he said, and then we have all of Psalm 18, the song itself, and that both David and the people of God were meant to sing. If you keep your finger there in Psalm 18 and turn over to 2 Samuel chapter 22, 2 Samuel 22, starting at verse 1, we see that this superscription is historical reality. <clears throat> It says in 2 Samuel 22, 1, And David spoke to the Lord the words of this song on the day when the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. He said, and we have in the remaining 50 verses or so, almost word for word, Psalm 18. And what's helpful about this is not only do we see that this Psalm 18, this song came out of a real life issue, like real experience of David. This is his firsthand experience with God. So this is personal testimony here, but it's not just of one experience. Psalm uh, 18 is, is, is after, right there, 2 Samuel 22. And 2 Samuel 22 is at the, near the end of David's life. It's, it's the, near the end of his reign. Just a few chapters later, we see that he dies of old age. And so David here is looking back on his entire life, and he's reflecting upon all the enemies he's had to face, all the battles he's had to fight, all the enemies he's had and all the trials and struggles he's went through, and how many times has he prayed to God and God responded? Over and over and over again. And David's saying, he's worth it. 
He's worth calling out to. He's worth praying to. And he's worth praising. We find here in Psalm 18, 50 verses, as we've read throughout today, and it's a lot. And it's kind of hard to wrap our minds around. So I wanted to give you a, a kind of a structure to see Psalm 18. So this is kind of like an outline for Psalm 18. And you see, it's, it, it, it's like a, uh, there's a connection from the first and the last sections. The introduction and the closing of this psalm is about praise. That David is praising God. We see in verse 1, I love you, O Lord. In verse 3, I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. Verse 46, at the end, we see, The Lord lives, and blessed be my rock, and exalted be the God of my salvation. Verse 49, For this I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations, and sing to your name. So the bookends, the thing that's holding this psalm together is praise. David is praising God. He's worthy to be praised. Why? Because of the second section and the second to last section. They kind of connect as well. David says, I've, I've had serious trials throughout my whole life. And God has given me triumph over them. That's why he's praising God. Because God has moved him from his trials to his triumph. So the context of this psalm is his trials. And it, in, the end result would be his triumph. But in the middle two sections, that's the focus of this psalm. You see, the bulk of it here is the response of God. It's in response, the, he responds to David's prayer. So we have the prayer to God and the response of God. That's what makes the difference between his trials and his triumph. And that's why he's praising the Lord. So go with me to Psalm 18, verses 1 through 3. And as we read this, I want you to notice the, the present tense of the verbs here. I love you, O Lord. Like, this is what I'm doing now. The Lord is my rock. This is who he currently is. He's my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock, in whom I take refuge. Now, this is called the constantive present, meaning it's constantly happening. This is what I do. This is how I live my life. I take refuge in the Lord. He's my shield, the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call upon the Lord. Again, this is how I live my life. I call upon the Lord who is constantly, presently, always worthy to be praised. And what happens when I call upon the Lord, the one who's worthy to be praised, what happens? He saves me from my enemies. The present tense here points us to the constant reasonableness to praise God and to pray to God. That He is our responsive God and He is praiseworthy and prayer worthy. Go, go to verse 25. Psalm 18, verse 25 and we see in this more present tense. And the reason why I'm, I'm pointing these out is because most of the psalm is actually past tense. I was in trouble. He's reflecting on his life, right? And I prayed to God, and God heard me, and he delivered me, all past tense. But he's also not just praising God, but he's praising God to and for the benefit of the people of Israel. As the king and as the psalm writer, he says, I want you to sing this song both to God, but also to each other about the Lord. Verse 25, with the merciful, you show yourself merciful. This is just who he is and how he works. Verse 27, for you save a humble people, but the haughty eyes you bring down. For it is you who light my lamp. The Lord, my God, lightens my darkness. This is just what he does. For by you, I can run against a troop. And by my God, I can leap over a wall. This is my relationship with the Lord. This is how this works. Why? Because this is who he is. Verse 30, this God, his way is perfect. 
And I love this. The aged King David, through all his trials, all of his struggles, all of his battles, and all of his enemies, he says, the word of the Lord proves true. This is his personal testimony of his firsthand experience. I have tested the Lord. I have called out to him over and over and over again. And he always keeps his word. It proves true. He is presently, constantly, and always a shield for those who take refuge in him. And you take refuge in him by calling out to him. He is worthy of praising because he's worthy of praying to, taking refuge in him. Look at verse 31. For who is God but the Lord? Like there is no other God. And who is a rock? Who is the stable ground underneath our feet except our God? This is the only time he uses this uh, uh, third person, uh, the first person uh, plural here, our God. That he's not just mine. He's saying he's our God, people. You can trust him. Verse 46, the Lord lives and blessed be my rock. I absolutely love this phrase, the Lord lives. Why is it that God is able to deliver me? Why is it that I, he's worthy of praise? And why is it that I pray to him? Why is it that he responds? Because he's alive. He's not some statue. He's not an idol. He is the living God. And long live the king. In verse 49, for this I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations. For what's this? For all the ways throughout all my life that you have proven true, faithful, that you have been the response of God. You've proven yourself to be worthy of praise and worthy of prayer. And this prayer, response, and praise theme, David says, this is typical for the people of God. And since David so often experienced such trials and then triumphant deliverance from God in response to his prayers, he continued to pray. And he he grew to expect that God would respond. And he was never disappointed. I love in 1 Kings chapter 1, right before David dies, he's talking to Bathsheba and he says, the Lord has delivered me out of all my adversities. The old man throughout all his life, I've been faithful to God, but even, even at times when I've sinned and needed to repent, guess what? He stayed graciously faithful to me. And he's always been responsive. God is worthy of praise because he's worthy of prayer. I think this is why, in part, David writes this psalm. To convince people, to more fully and firmly convince the people of God, to stir them up, to praise the Lord, and to pray to him. And we need that too, don't we? We need to be reminded and stirred up. We need to be more fully and firmly convinced that the Lord is worthy of praising and praying to And the reason why we need to be more fully and firmly convinced is because we too have trials. Trials can come like never-ending waves causing us to lose our balance and lose our focus. Look at verses 4 and 5 of Psalm 18. The cords of death encompassed me. The torrents of destruction assailed me. The cords of Sheol entangled me. The snares of death confronted me. He says, whether they're cords or torrents, that's these, these streams of water, these waves that keep coming at me. Whether they're cords or torrents or snares, I've been encompassed, that is surrounded. I've been assailed, that is, I've been attacked. I've been entangled and confronted by death, destruction, and the grave itself. David knew what it was to be burdened with trials. He knew what it meant to struggle and to have enemies. And he knew what it was like to lose your focus 
And so he says, I must call upon the Lord, and so should you. But we need this reminder not only because we have trials that come like this, but because trials can leave us desperately clinging to something, to anything for stability. Look at verse 16. The second part of Psalm 18, 16 says, He drew me out of many waters. Many waters means great depth of waters. He's out in the middle of the sea, metaphorically, in all of his troubles and trials. And he's saying, God, there's nothing around for miles, and I'm going to drown unless I have something to hold on to. And when we get that way, when we're in a place where we're just struggling, saying, God, I am desperate for something, I'll reach for anything, even if it's destructive, even if it's sinful. And, God, and David's saying, don't, don't do that. Call out to Him because He will be there for you. He will give you stability. Call out to Him in your trials. When you feel like you're drowning and you need something, He alone is it. But we don't only have trials in our circumstances. We don't only have physical issues and concerns. We also have a spiritual enemy. You see, Satan and his demons, they attack us. They assail us. And they want to attack us. No matter what you see in the movies or in TV, the way that the devil and his demons attack us is by tempting us, by discouraging us, by condemning us, by distracting us, causing us. They, they would want nothing more than for us to turn inward in the midst of our trials to pity and to turn outward in anger. Anything to keep us from turning upward to prayer and praise. So we see in verses 17 and 18 of Psalm 18, he rescued me from my strong enemy and from those who hated me, for they were too mighty for me. They confronted me in the day of my calamity. My friends, you have an enemy who is too mighty for you. So call upon the Lord. He's worthy of being prayed to in the face of your trials and your enemy. Well, because we have these trials and this enemy, therefore we too often fail to pray. Or at least we fail to pray in faith. And so again, we need to be reminded, encouraged, and exhorted, and stirred up, and more fully and firmly convinced that God is worthy of praising and praying to. But then you add to this the fact that we do pray, and we have prayed. And many of us have been praying for something or for many things for a long time, and we have seen little to no change. We've been praying for maybe the same thing for days, weeks, months, or years and God seems to not be doing anything about it. And so we get discouraged. And because all of us probably have prayed for something and got something else instead. We've prayed for something good and received something bad before. Maybe you prayed for a family member to be healed and they died. Maybe you prayed for a friend to, to be reconciled and then they abandoned you. Or have you ever prayed for sleep in the middle of the night? You're so tired. You know you've got to get up and do something uh, that's, that requires a lot of focus and energy the next day, and you're praying for sleep, and yet you seem to have the worst night's sleep imaginable. Why is that? Why do we pray for good things? These are all good things, and we receive things that aren't good. These things can leave us discouraged and feeling that prayer is useless, or at least maybe that at most it's a, it's a religious therapy exercise, that it makes us feel better maybe to get our thoughts and our feelings out, but it, it doesn't really have any effect in this world. <clears throat> Beloved, there are many possible reasons why the Lord does not always answer your prayers according to your timetable and your ways. It may be that one of his reasons is that he's trying to stretch and strengthen your faith. 
You'll pray in faith today, but what if I don't give it to you right away? What if I don't give it to you tomorrow? Will you still pray with the same intensity of faith? What about next week? What about next year? Will you keep trusting me and praying to me with fervent faith? Sometimes God is trying to get our attention. That's why he doesn't answer our prayers right away or in the way that we would like because we have sin in our hearts and we need to evaluate and we need to repent. Sometimes God doesn't answer our prayers because, right away because He wants to increase our passion and our desire for the thing that we're asking for so that when we receive it, we will enjoy it and experience it all the better and praise Him all the more. And sometimes He just doesn't give us what we're asking for because it's not good for us. Or maybe it's good, but it's not best. And so He says, you have to trust my wisdom. There are many reasons why the Lord may not be answering your prayer in the timing of the way that you want, but none of those reasons are because He is unresponsive. None of those reasons are because He doesn't care or isn't listening. None of those reasons are so that you will stop praying, but that you will pray all the more. He wants you to pray all the more. Prayer is powerful because God is powerful and because He answers. So prayer is worth it, David is telling us. It's worth it because God is worthy of prayer. Why? Because he will hear. Because he will answer. He will respond. And his response will be absolutely perfect. Perfect in timing. Perfect in manner and in method and in means. God is worthy of praise because he's worthy of prayer. So when you are struggling, when you are hurting, when you have been praying for something and seeming to have no answer in sight, you need to be reminded and encouraged and stirred up and more fully and firmly convinced that He has responded before. He does respond to His people and He will respond to you, His child. Or hear it from the lips of David. This God, His way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in Him. Our God is a responsive God, worthy of praising and worthy of praying to. But of course, we, all, we always need to be, all of us, on guard, especially in the midst of our trials against prosperity teaching, prosperity thinking. You know that kind of theology that says <clears throat> that pain is never good for us. That kind of thinking that says God only wants us to be happy, healthy, and wealthy. That kind of teaching that says that Jesus died to give you every kind of creaturely, temporal comfort and convenience and pleasure in this life. It's a lie. Don't believe that. We need to be on guard against that kind of thinking. And yet, my friends, we must not shy away from asking the Lord for blessing and deliverance. Yes, we need to understand that the when and the how the Lord brings His deliverance and His blessings to us is always according to His wisdom, which may not, we may not always understand because His thoughts and His ways are so much better and higher than ours. And yet, He does desire to work mightily and mercifully for the good of His people in answer, in response to their prayers. So we should ask Him because He always answers better than we ask. Amen? The Lord has promised to deliver us and to give us triumph and to give us blessing in response to our prayers. He says, pray and I will respond. And even when his response is not what you expect, he will respond and it will always be better than you expect. David's triumphant deliverance and his resultant praise 
near the end of Psalm 18, tells us as much. Psalm 18, verse 43, you delivered me from strife with the people. Surely David prayed for this. But then he goes on, you made me the head of the nations. So I'm not just neutral, not just no strife. I am over them. People whom I had not known, even people I'm not even praying about, they served me. As soon as they heard of me, they obeyed me. Foreigners came cringing to me. Foreigners lost heart and came trembling out of their fortresses. Surely this is greater than what David even asked for. God always answers better than we ask because our God, the living God, our rock in salvation is the response of God. And he's worthy of praising and worthy of praying to. And this is what David does. Verse 6. Psalm 18, verse 6. After talking about the cords of death, the torrents of destruction, and so forth, he says, In my distress, under the weight of this burden, when my enemies are attacking, in my distress, I called upon the Lord. To my God, I cried for help. Which takes us back to verse 3. This is how I live my life. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. I wonder, do you believe that? It's proved whether or not you do by whether or not you actually pray. Do you call out to him? Do you call out to him in faith, believing, trusting that he will respond, that he's the responsive God? Do you believe that he's worth it? Worth your effort, your energy to stop, to get on your knees and to call out to him? He is the responsive God. The rest of verse 6 and all the way through the end of verse 42, David takes great pains to tell us this. He shows us the response of God. And I want to unpack this section a little bit because it's in this response of God that we see the person of God. The response of God shows us the person of God, the God that we are to pray to, the God that we are to be praising, the God who is our shield and our rock, our fortress, deliverer, salvation, stronghold, the one who's worthy of praying and praising. The response of God not only shows us the person of God, but the response of God also stirs up the praise of God, the praise of the God who we pray to and then who answers, who responds to us. And the response of God strengthens our prayer to God. It strengthens our, the frequency of our prayers and the fervency that is the passion of our prayers and the faith from which we pray. All of this comes when we can see that God is the response of God. We see it in chapter, six, uh, chapter 18, verses 6 through 42, but it's broken up into three sections. There's, we see the response of God is powerful in verses 6 through 15. The response of God is personal in verses 16 through 30. And the response of God is providential in verses 31 through 42. And I really would want to just focus on the first and the last. That the response of God is both powerful and providential. David first here in verse 6 says, From his temple he heard my voice. My cry to him reached his ears. And then I love the very next word in verse 7. And then. And then. Like, this is a story. I had trial upon trial. In my distress, I called upon the Lord. He heard me. And then he responded. And the response is powerful. It's a powerful response. David uses here in verses 7 through 15 dramatic and vivid language of God's response. He speaks of it in cosmological, apocalyptic proportions. He's viewing God's response from this divine and supernatural standpoint. David here speaks in verses 7 through 15 
of God. God's response is terrifying judgment against his enemies. We read, Then the earth reeled and rocked. The foundations also of the mountains trembled and quaked because he was angry. Not at David, but at David's enemies. Smoke went up from his nostrils. Devouring fire came from his mouth. Glowing coals flamed forth from him. Do you see his judgment against David's enemies? He bowed the heavens and came down. Thick darkness was under his feet. He rode on a cherub and flew. He came swiftly on the wings of the wind. He made darkness his covering, his canopy around him, thick clouds, dark with water. Out of the brightness before him, hailstones and coals of fire broke through his clouds. The Lord also thundered in the heavens. And the Most High uttered his voice, hailstones and coals of fire. The Lord responded to David's prayer. Verse 14. And he sent out his arrows and scattered them. He flashed forth lightnings and routed them. Then the, eight, the channels of the sea were, were seen, and the foundations of the world were laid bare at your rebuke, O Lord, at the blast of the breath of your nostrils. This is striking language. Very pictographic, with a lot of imagery. Very dramatic, cataclysmic language, and it's metaphorical. It's metaphorical, which means that God did not literally kill David's enemies with lightning and coals of fire. It's a metaphor. For, for he's trying to explain something. He's saying, I don't know how to tell you. I don't know how to show you how powerful God's response is, but let me try. And he's giving you this very vivid, vivid and dramatic picture to look at. But while keeping that dramatic and supernatural view in mind, David later speaks of the exact same experience, the exact same reality, the exact same response of God throughout his life. And yet, he uses, it comes from a more natural and common standpoint, using more practical and ordinary language. Here, in verses 31 through 42, David is viewing God's response, yes, as powerful, but primarily as providential. That God, God, God responds powerfully and yet in His providence. By providence here I'm referring to the way that God works in and through everything of life. That, that the way that God works with complex heavenly wisdom through simple earthly means. God's providence is His response to prayer in and through natural processes which He has created, which He sustains. That's what He works through in perfect harmony with human beings and natural life. Now, to be clear, God's response to the prayers of His people can be miraculous. God can intervene, and He can work outside of and above the laws of nature that He has created. He can do that. In fact, He has, and I believe He does, and I believe He will. And yet, when He does so, it is rare. By the very definition, miracles are not normal. It's not normative that God works this way. So when you pray to God, don't be expecting, oh, something like uh, verses 7 through 15 being literal. This, this kind of this, uh, cataclysmic, dramatic, vivid response from God in all of His power displayed in these literal terms. You shouldn't be thinking that. You should be expecting God to work providentially. And how He sovereignly works in and through the ordinary processes of life. The way God usually and normally responds to our prayers is through providence. Look at verse 31. For who is God but the Lord? And who is a rock except our God, the God who equipped me with strength? 
Verse 34, he trains my hands for war. Verse 36, you gave a wide place for my steps under me, and my feet did not slip. Now, just stop. If God were to give you a very narrow place and you didn't slip, that would be more miraculous. But he gave him a wide place, and it makes sense that he didn't slip. I pursued my enemies and overtook them and did not turn back till they were consumed. I thrust them through so that they were not able to rise. They fell under my feet, David says. It's David's skill and his strategy, his strength. It's, it's, the, it's his army, his people. But he says, verse 39, I did all this for because you equipped me with strength for the battle. You made those who rise against me sink under me. You made my enemies turn their backs to me. And those who hated me, I destroyed. So which is it? Did David destroy them or did God make them turn back? The answer is yes. There's this perfect connection. There's a harmony. Like two rivers just conjoining together. There's this concurrence of what David is doing and what God is doing. What human beings in the natural realm are doing with their real thoughts and processes of decision-making and actions. And yet God is sovereign over it all, in it all, and through it all to bring about the deliverance in response to David's prayers. We see here in this passage that God is the one who responds, and yet David also has action. And yet you remember from verses 7 through 15 that it looks like just God is responding. Because from one vantage point, we see that all of it really is from God. He enables me. He helps me. He secures me. And He gives me not only the ability to do it, but then gives me effectiveness and gives me victory through it all. And remember this kind of ordinary work through human ingenuity and skill and conversation and strategy and battle and fighting. All of this is normal, ordinary work. And yet that is the exact same response of God we find when it says he thundered in the heavens. The Most High uttered his voice and hailstones and coals of fire and arrows like lightning came forth and routed them. It's the same. Which should tell us that it is no less the work of God when he uses ordinary means to bring about results in our lives. It is no less glorifying to God and no less powerful of God when He works through us and through means, natural process. It's still God working. He is worthy to be praised and prayed to because He's our response of God. And most often, His response to our prayers is through providence. That's how it usually works. And the reason why I'm hammering this and wanting you to see this so clearly is because I believe that our, prayers, our prayer life often rises and falls whether or not we get this. There are two really big dangers if we fail to recognize God's providential response to our prayers. Number one, pride grows. When things go well, when we ask God for help, and we don't see Him actually working, we don't, we don't recognize His providential working in life, and we get to work. We stay up late and we work hard and we do what we got to do and we strategize and we figure it out and we get it done. We're going to have pride and we're going to say, look what I did. Couldn't David have done this? I have stability in my legs. My feet were swift. My arms were strong. My hands were skillful. My mind sharp and my eyes keen. I gave myself the victory. I gave myself this triumph. I delivered me from my trials. Actually, most people in the world do that. 
but not David. He says, the Lord delivered me. The Lord delivered me through the ordinary processes of providence. God powerfully worked like the entire earth was being shaken up through ordinary processes of life. If you don't see it, your pride will grow. And when your pride grows, your prayerfulness will wither. It's only the humble people who pray. If you don't think you need God, you won't ask him for things. You won't pray in faith. So the other danger, if you don't recognize God providentially responding to your prayers and working in your life, is that your prayerfulness will wither. When things go well, and you prayed to God, but you don't see him working, and yet you're working hard, you're going to think, well, I did it all, and so you won't pray. Or when things go poorly, and you're praying, you're thinking God's not really doing anything. When he's working invisibly, behind the scenes, in and through ordinary process, you won't see it. And so you'll think he's not doing anything, and you think that prayer is useless. You will think that God really isn't all that responsive to us as I, as David is saying he is. Maybe except for those lucky few who get a few miracles in their lifetime, but no. I've prayed hundreds, maybe thousands of times and nothing. I mean, I've done a lot, but not God. How should you apply the truth of this psalm? Receive what David says. That God is the responsive God who is worthy of praise and worthy of prayer. Seek to have your heart stirred up so as to pray more and praise Him more. So first, pray. Pray to the Lord. He is the responsive God, worthy of prayer. So pray. Pray in faith that He will respond and that His response will be perfect. Pray to the Lord for stability. Take refuge in Him by calling out to Him. Cry out to the Lord for deliverance from your enemies. Ask Him for help in your trials. And then pray for eyes to recognize God's response in His providence. Ask the Lord to sharpen your vision of reality so that you see what actually is. That you will see both the vision of 31 through 42, what our natural eyes can see, and that you have eyes to faith to see 7 through 15, God powerfully working behind the scenes. Ask God to sharpen your vision of reality so that you will see God responding powerfully and perfectly and in love in the everyday natural processes by which he providentially is working good for you and through you. And then praise the Lord. Pray to him and then praise him. Prayer and praise go hand in hand. You see, the more fervent and frequent your prayers... When you have eyes to see his providential working, then more fervent and frequent will be your praise. So pray and then praise. He is the response of God who is worthy of praise. Praise him who is your solid rock. Though all the world seems to be giving way, you have stability with him under your feet, him holding you up. Praise God for being your secure refuge, the place where you can go to when all trouble and all your enemies seem to be surrounding you. Praise the Lord who is your strong rescuer, who rescues you from hell, can rescue you, and will give you triumph over every other problem in this world eventually in some way. Praise him who responds powerfully, who responds so perfectly and responds providentially. Praise him. He is worthy of praise. He's worthy of praise because he is a responsive God worthy of prayer. <laughs> and wonderfully, how this works is when you praise the Lord, 
That is, strength, that is faith strengthening, and it is prayer encouraging. That is, praising God for His answered prayers actually stirs us up to pray more. And then when He answers our prayers, it leads us to praise Him more. This is a beautiful cycle of growing prayer and response and praise. We pray to the Lord. He responds. And oh, that we would see it in His providential, powerful response to us. And then we will praise Him for it. And then we will be more apt to pray to Him. And the cycle continues to grow. And it's how He intends it. I believe this is what David is aiming for. I believe this is what Jesus is aiming for. Telling us that He's worth it. The God is our responsive God, worthy of praising and worthy of praying to I believe that Jesus is aiming for us uh, for this because I believe that Psalm 18 ultimately is about him. I mean, think about it for a moment. If David's testimony it should, should more fully convert and firmly convince us that God is worth praying to and praising, how much more should the testimony of Jesus in his first-hand experience more fully and firmly convince us of us? And if God's response to David in his trial stirs us up to praise him and to pray to him, how much more should God's response to Jesus? You see, Jesus' trials were worse because he came from the glory of the highest heights to the lowest of depths. And in his humiliation, he came from the glory of the Father with his holy angels and he came down to suffer among sinners. Now, he did not only bore humiliation, he bore temptation. Temptation like David never could have seen. You see, David gave in to temptation, but Jesus never did. He endured it. He, he felt the full weight of the temptation full to the end, never giving in. He felt the full weight of Satan against him. Satan never had to let up. And he bore not only humiliation and temptations, but he bore the cross. Jesus bore the full weight of God's wrath for sinners like us on the cross. For every sinner who will turn to trust in Jesus, Jesus bore this punishment, this judgment, this wrath of God upon himself. Surely Jesus' trials are worse than David's. And yet, he was delivered. He had triumph over it all. And Jesus' deliverance and his triumph are also greater than David's. If, if David was delivered from his, his earthly enemies here, and he was put into the place of king over all of Israel... Jesus, Jesus was delivered from death itself, raised to everlasting life, full of glory, being the supreme Lord and King over all the universe. Jesus' deliverance and his triumph were greater than David's. Psalm 18, verse 50 says, Great salvation he brings to his king and shows steadfast love to his anointed, to David and his offspring forever. You see, but Jesus is also a king, and he's a greater king than David. Jesus is God's anointed one. This is the Hebrew word Messiah. Jesus is the Christ and the greater anointed one. He is David, but he's the greater David. He's his offspring, his ultimate offspring. And if when David was blessed and given salvation and showed steadfast love, if that was a good benefit for his people, how much more is the salvation and the steadfast love that the Father shows Jesus good for us, his people? You see, Jesus and his trials, and then his triumph, his deliverance, his blessings, they belong not only to him but to all of his people by faith. David was a leader, 
of his people. He was an example for his people, and he was the representative of the nation of Israel. And Jesus is all of that, plus he is our covenant head in whom we have all the promises of God that he will be our refuge and support and shield and more. In Christ, our anointed one, God becomes our rock to be blessed and our salvation to be exalted. In Jesus, our salvation, we see most clearly that God is most worthy of praise because in Jesus, he is most worthy of prayer. In Jesus, our king, David's offspring, God becomes our God, our responsive God who promises to hear our prayer and respond and his word always proves true. And so we have every reason to pray to God with faith in Jesus and every reason to praise God because of Jesus. He's worth it. God is our response of God, worthy of praise and worthy of prayer. Most supremely, because of Jesus. But this morning, if you're not trusting in Jesus, if you, you're not even sure you believe this stuff, then you have no reason to think that God will answer your prayers. You have no reason to think that God will respond to you in any other way but in judgment, on judgment day. But there is one prayer. There is one prayer that God will always hear from every person, every sinner. It is the humble prayer of faith in Jesus. The humble prayer, focused with your faith in Jesus and who He is, what He has done, that He was the one who lived sinlessly, died sacrificially, and rose again victoriously to have moved from trial to triumph for the sake of His people, His sinful, undeserving people. With faith in that Jesus, you know that you have God's response to bring you deliverance and blessing and triumph. So when others come up to partake of communion in just a moment, if you're not there yet this morning, if you're not yet trusting in Christ, that instead of coming up when others do to partake of communion, bow your head and pray to God with humble faith in Jesus. Cry out to Him with a faith, a trust in Jesus, that He's worthy of praying in the name of and praising in the name of. And for those of you who are trusting in Jesus, and you've had your, your trust, your faith in Jesus affirmed by other Christians in baptism in a local church, in just a moment, I'm going to invite you to exit to your left and come up to one of these tables to grab the communion elements, and that gluten-free is all the way to the far left. You take your communion elements that represents the body of Christ and the blood of Christ that was given for sinners like us so that God will be our forever refuge and shield and strength and rock and stronghold and Savior. Our response of God because of what Jesus has done. And you can go back to your seat to the right and take it, both praying to God and praising God in the name of Jesus Christ. And if you want to be prayed with about anything, I'm going to be right here in the front. I'm going to ask Pastor Steve if he'll be in the back. And if, whether you're taking communion or not, if you want someone to pray with you, we'll be here.